Welcome to the Fred Tech Bike Podcast, guys. I'm your host, Andres Mendoza, and with me is my co-host, Mark Walker. And today here, we're going to be recording at iHire, thanks to Dave and Fox, you know, for lending us the couches to work, <laughs> to record here and whatnot. Um, we're also going to be talking about, uh, it's a roundtable for developer uh, education, you know, see what your background is, regardless if it's a formal degree or boot camp or, you know, if you looked at, if you took some tutorials online and got a job for somehow, somehow and whatnot. So, First, let's go around the room, starting with you, David, and tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm uh, David Fox. I'm a software development manager here at iHire. Um, I've been here a little less than six years. Um, we build lots of tools and things here. Uh, I'm potentially the least educated on the panel, uh, probably the least educated. Uh, been to college, did not finish. Uh, very passionate about online courseware, things like that. Cool. Awesome. George? I'm George Dimitoglu uh, from Hood College. I teach computer science and I'm the chair of the Department of Computer Science and Information Technology. Awesome. And I've been in Hood for 15 years. Yeah. Very good. And I'm Matt Lehman. I am the software architect at Doctor on Demand, a place that does telemedicine, video calls for doctors, and have an education in computer science and computer engineering. So I went the more formal route, but have, have seen a lot of people... Uh, interviewed a lot of people from all over with different ranges of experience. And as you guys know, I'm Andres Mendoza, and I've also had a formal education of computer science degree. And it's one of those things that it, this particular topic interested me because, you know, you look back on your education, and yes, you, you've built the fundamentals there, but without consistently learning, I don't think I would be able to continue to be an engineer, or software engineer at least. You know, the the space has changed so drastically and so fast. It's if you're not learning, you're not keeping up and you're just going to get left behind. So, you know, I want to start off with you, Matt, because I've seen, you know, you, you definitely showcase Python or whatnot, and you do a lot of those, um, a lot of the tutorial videos, right? And it, it's something that I thought about too, because about you know, when I was in college, something like that wasn't readily available. And, you know, there, there were several reasons for it. You know, YouTube was it was big, but I didn't have a self a smartphone to just record something really quick um, or a webcam that I can record and put out there. And, and so how do you find that not only teaching, but is it a big learning experience as well while you're teaching that stuff? Absolutely. I, I think so. For context, I, I also organized Python Frederick. Uh, so I spend a lot of time thinking about Python, encountering people who want to learn Python and get requests from the meetup of folks who have all sorts of thoughts on how we could do a better job servicing the community. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that was requested over and over again was uh, recorded materials for folks that are coming from Rockville or, or far away and don't have the opportunity to make it that night. They just wanted a, a kind of a low tech way to get some extra knowledge. And so we started recording these. These are, are not high-end productions, but they're, they're good enough quality that we can put them on YouTube and get the material out, out there. Um, I think they've been well-received, um, not just from our meetup, but it turns out that other folks all over the world start to look at these things if, if the quality is good enough. Um, as far as, like, how what have I learned about in doing that process? Um Aside from the video editing stuff, which naturally comes along <laughs> with trying to put something on the internet and, and put out video, uh, it has has absolutely been something that forces you to think through um, the pedagogy of of how do you teach this material, how do you make it approachable, mm -hmm. and um, you know I do see that at least in, in terms of the community's Python knowledge, we skew a little on, more on the 
novice side. So you have to make the material readily available to anybody from any experience level, um, which is an interesting challenge servicing that group. Right, sure. right. Yeah, like if you don't even know what Python is, you know, just another computer science, computer language that you can code in. And it's one of the most popular ones now, as far as I can tell, like at least to get into the programming scheme um, and with, you know, big data, but you obviously know more than that. But you're right. You have to service people that don't know that to people that are like, I I know all the fundamentals. Let's, let's move on and go to like the crux of what this language provides me per se. So has anyone else here done, you know, at least like learn something from videos like Matt's? Because I, I know I have uh, over the years. Like when I first started doing mobile development, it was one of those things that I think the company I use like Treehouse and they've done video productions very similar to what you're doing and walk you through like building an application on iOS or Android and things like that. And that was like the first foray to get into that and then just keep keep on and keep on. Have any of you guys ever done anything like that? Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, I haven't seen any of Matt's videos yet. Uh, I, see him, I, see him, I see him. I know. I see him posting on the. Well, I'm the .NET guy. I'm usually the one that's in the minority. Uh, no, I haven't seen his. But no, I, anytime I'm looking to reference, if I'm looking for a, a Python reference of any kind, usually I'm hitting the internet for it because it's not my day to day. It's not what I, I don't have any muscle memory for Python until I'm right. writing it for a couple hours when I'm working on a special project or something like that, uh, and it starts to come back to me. Yeah, I mean. Um, you know, even, you know, the standard stuff, if you're looking to answer a question, stack our vote, just get on there really quick and find an answer. But there are times you're just like, well, I kind of want to, you know, build out something very small and see how that works, whether it's on Python or .NET or Android or Java, it doesn't matter. You know, it's good to see someone, you know, work at that and kind of walk down. And I've seen too, like you were saying, depending on your level, um, you know, some people may get tripped up or whatnot, but most of these productions do a good job in trying to service, you know, all levels here. George, do you, do you guys also do that in, in the well, university? All the time. I mean, I, I do it all the time. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I do it because I'm looking for examples, uh, sort of to yeah. go deeper into specific technologies. Um, I mean, I have to tell you, if you, if you look at what I studied in, in college, I, I'm a dinosaur. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's part of the, you know, how, how things are moving, moving right. along. So Python did not even exist, right, uh, yeah. let alone other, other technologies. So, oh, it, it's, I constantly look at videos. I constantly look up at sort of these tutorials. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the most difficult part, and I don't know if, if Matt is seeing it this way, is how to sort of get the video or do the delivery at the right level. I think this is the, the, the hardest thing that you can do because you don't know what your audience knows and you're trying to, you know, do you go to too much detail and right. people start fast forwarding you, you know, putting you in 125 and 150 because you're not speaking fast enough or they're like, oh my gosh, I don't know what he's talking about and, and they <laughs> skip out. So I think the level of delivery is, is a very important part of, of these, of these videos. But mm-hmm. Yeah. And how, you you know, you've been there for over a decade. Mm-hmm. Um, and how have you seen the students, I guess, change in terms of how they learn? Because like you said, I myself feel like a dinosaur now thinking about how I've learned programming back in college. You know, learning Java was probably the, the latest and greatest was of C++, right. command line stuff. Right. And, you know, nowadays it's you can easily program on, on a MacBook Pro and anywhere, anything quite literally. So how have you seen the students like evolve in terms of how they learned? Publishers are hurting. <laughs> 
nobody reads books anymore. I mean, <laughs> almost content can't keep up fast enough. Content can keep up fast enough, and and if you if you, I mean, I, I see it in my students. They 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 prefer a video rather than a chapter of a, of a book or or a, or a lab. I mean, I used we used to do these lab tutorials, you know, this step by step sort of right. documents that they would walk them through and and see things. Nobody does this anymore. Everything is a video or, or a screen or a narrated video mm-hmm. or a screen, you know, this kind of a screen capture uh, voiceover. So definitely things have changed. And I don't know if it's because as a species, I guess, we expect higher ban- in bandwidth mm-hmm. and reading is not a lot. It's not enough. Right. Uh, or it's just we're conditioned now to be learning through uh, other means. You know, that's a good question you bring up because I wonder with with the way I can receive information today, you know, I have a phone here and I, I get any information from anywhere in the world, mm-hmm. but it's not just the fact that I can get that information. It's how much comes to me in a single day. Yeah, the velocity, exactly. Yeah. It's so high now that there are a lot of things that I just dismiss, right? You, you see right. something and it's more... V- you know, for me at least, I like to browse through Instagram. It's a lot more visual than, mm-hmm. you know, Reddit. I love browsing through there. But if I had to choose, I'll choose the visual aspect first. So I'm wondering, is is that something that I can see a benefit? But is there another side to that where you may not really get the crux of what, are, like the foundation of what it is you're trying to learn, right? Do you, do you often see that? Or do you think some of your users see that, Matt? I think it may vary on the type of learner that you are. Like today, I'm still a book learner. That is mm-hmm. how I enjoy it. Like I've, I've been exploring the Rust programming language, and there's a very famous Rust book that goes hand in hand with learning the language. Um, for me, it has examples in there. I can follow the. I'm comfortable enough with my tool set that I can follow those and learn via the compiler errors and interacting with it directly. Um, but at the same time, I'm someone who's been in the industry for well over a decade now. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I'm not scared of a command line. This is not foreign to me. Right. So someone who's coming from a different spot where they don't have that level of experience yet, don't know the tool set, having those visual examples yeah. is, is a fantastic ability to, to kind of latch onto something, uh, see someone click around, install the right packages, whatever it is you have to do to make the code go. Um, so, you know, using those kind of resources, just a great accessibility option um, that would be would have been nice had I, you know, been exposed to that as, as someone who was an undergrad many years ago. Um, but I think we're, there are different types of learners and, and uh, it's nice having multiple options out there. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Because if I think about opening an IDE like Visual Studio or Xcode or whatnot, if you've never seen that before. It's like just think about opening like Photoshop and how intense that is and like all I'm trying to do is just change the background color and how hard it is to do that and like you said it's you're right it, you know I, I could read a book or paragraph but if I had a visual just to show me really quick how to do it five seconds could show me versus me trying to decipher what a paragraph is or whatnot so yeah that's that's definitely really good but again it goes back to the velocity that I'm just yeah. you know I don't know how new students take it today and the fact that there's just so much information that you get inundated with and like what do I learn how do I learn and things like that and so I guess that's another thing we can talk about here is that when you think about this this industry it's just a huge array you know David you're saying you're .NET Matt you're Python I've done I've done .NET I really haven't done Python but I've also do mobile development so 
you have to pick almost a topic before you, you know, to focus in, right? In order to just say, hey, this is what I want to learn and let me learn it. Now, there are a lot of things you can learn on .NET that can carry over to Python and other stuff, but, you know, you want to at least focus on that because if you're, if I want to do five languages at one time, you're, you're just going to get lost, right? Absolutely. Some of it's just, uh, syntax can be learned in a oh, weekend. Goodness, yeah. The minute you need that larger vocabulary, you need to learn what multi-threading is or some type of async behavior or a deployment pipeline or whatever it is, more practical application, something like that, the, no- the novice may not even know what word they need to Google search for. I think I'm very good at Google, but I use Google to learn the vocabulary so I can search better. I can actually leverage Google to find out what I really need to know. Sometimes I'm Googling around, feel like I'm a flopping fish because I don't even know what the word is in Python or whatever other type of project that I'm working on for it. This is the guy that's making your Google searches better. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Because uh, you're right, like, like getting an error message, you're like, what do I Google? Like, right. You could copy-paste that. copy-paste the error message, but right. at the end of the day, it might be completely unrelated. Correct. You're looking yeah. in one area of the code if you're debugging and mm-hmm. things like that. So yeah, yeah, and yeah, Google's another resource that you, that you can look up. And I remember that's another thing back in college. If you wanted to reference something, you really kind of hit a textbook. And like mm-hmm. you said, I, I need to know what the whole framework is, the language itself, the stack, how yeah. it handles multi-threading or you know memory and things like that. And I'm talking about C++. You know, you had to do that. Yeah. And nowadays, most languages are you know you just code and forget and things like that. So. Um, you know, today it's just I, I could easily Google it or post a question on a forum and, and there are people that are out there that are willing to help you. So that's good. David, let's talk about um, a little bit about your background, because like you said, you, you've, you've done a little bit of college, but then you didn't finish and you've done other boot camps and things like that, right? Yeah. I, point of fact, I've probably done just slightly more college than <laughs> most undergrads. I just mm-hmm. didn't finish. Um I was into computers since I was five. That was when I actually had my first computer. So for my generation, it was reasonably young uh, that I had access to my first computer. It was an old compact portable. And I had an uncle that worked at Sun Microsystems uh, that uh, taught me how to write a batch file using Edlin, you know, Mm -hmm. some ancient OS. I mean, this was literally a box where you had two five and a quarter inch drives that lifted up from the top of this thing. One was for your OS, one was for your program. Okay, like that, you know, four, four color, you know, amber monochrome screen. Uh, so I had access to that kind of thing really early. I, I was convinced from a very early age, you know, after I got through the astronaut phase and that kind of thing, uh, that you know, I wanted to be in, you know, do computer programming. So by five, you were over being an astronaut. Yeah, yeah, but thereabouts. <laughs> that was quick. That was quick. That's right? I learned you could tell the computer what That's to do. It was just it was an entirely new world. Exactly. For me. And uh, uh, I, so I spent, you know, elementary, middle, high school, all of that, you know, just, yep, I'm going to be a computer programmer, just kept banging on it, experimenting with different things. I took one semester in college and I shifted. I said, you know what? I'm going to be an engineer. I'm going to go. I wanted to go to like mechanical engineering, structural engineering. I wasn't really sure. So I stopped my comp sci classes. And that's what inevitably put me behind when I got back to comp sci uh, about two semesters later. Uh, I tried to switch back to comp sci and it threw me a little bit behind. So my fourth and a half year of undergrad, I was a semester away from graduating from UMD with uh, uh, two majors, comp sci and economics. I had an opportunity to enter the workforce and I just took it. Uh, I, I wasn't ready to, you know, take out any more loans. I just, you know, I had an opportunity. I'd already had such a passion for it for so long. I took a risk and so far it's paid off, yeah. you know. Um, I still do regret it occasionally, uh, you know, not going through because 
for a while, those first couple of job applications, you know, and even just some of your peers uh, that might ask you, uh, you know, well, when did you graduate? Well, you know, I didn't, you know, I've never lied to anybody and said I graduated when I actually didn't, but uh, you know, it's, it's a weird thing. You catch heat from family members every now and then, uh, you know, for the first few years after when are you going to go back, that kind of thing. Uh, you know, so I, I had to dance around that for a while, but, um, no, I had an opportunity. I, I, I started off in uh, it doing like help desk and I, taught my, I taught the business owner about software development. I was like, Hey, we can build something that would make this person's life easier. Mm-hmm. Can you sell it? Cause I'm not really a sales guy, you know? So I'd ask him to try and go sell it. Uh, eventually he came you know, about six months or so after we started, he came with a project. He just told their, he just told the client we could build it. He came back to the office and he goes, Fox, can we build this? <laughs> it does happen, like, right? um, if, if you're going to tell me that like, this is my full-time gig now, like, yeah, I'll build it for you. Guaranteed. So real we, life speaking. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so we, we hacked together uh, an application in classic ASP and it did the job and the customer loved it. And, you know, at that point I'd written my first, you know, production code. I was, I was like beside yeah. myself, uh, happy uh, that is, but, uh, I, you know, it's kind of like the, it kind of brings you to date other than like a handful of jobs between then and I hire. Yeah. Yeah. It, that, that's awesome. That's a great experience um, where, you know, you don't necessarily need a college degree, especially to get in a field like this. If you're very driven, you're motivated and you, you're passionate about this, you know, in anything, if you're passionate about it, you can go far. You can pick up, you know, tutorials today and, and learn and things like that. And I remember myself, I think it was back in high school. I, that's when I decided I, this is what I wanted to do. But it wasn't until I had an internship in college that I really solidified that yeah. I, I started looking at code seeing it in production, how it worked, and just QAing the whole thing. And I was like, yeah, this is what I wanted to do. Because I also had a crisis of character in college. I think most people do, regardless of what you're studying. And so that's where it was like, yeah, this is really fun stuff. And you start to see that, you know, at the tip of your hands, you can create something that is out there for others to use. And it may not be perfect, but hey, nothing's perfect, right? So Yeah, I, I got pretty lucky uh, with my situation. I'm, I'm definitely blessed to, to have had that kind of passion for it. I've definitely seen people with similar educational experiences to my own that didn't get into software development until later. Uh, maybe some of them even during college. Um, I met a guy... A while back, I think at the Fred Webtech meetup, uh, that I found out later worked for a friend of mine. And, uh, he was kind of one of those unicorns, as you can call them, as some mm-hmm. people will call them. He had no, he had no idea what computer programming was until two years into college. He picked it up and just happened to be a natural at it. I think he's five or six years onto the job now. He's like their senior, senior dev. You yeah. Know, whatever it is. I think I've known one or two guys like that. But yeah. It, to uh, them, it's just, it was like, like a language that they've known all the, their whole yeah. life. They didn't know they knew it. And Sometimes people think right. what I do is sorcery. And I'm like, man, but I've been working at this for a really long time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny. <laughs> um, so, it, you know, let's go back onto that boot camp stuff. Does anyone know any, anybody that's taken one of those boot camps that are a couple months or a couple weeks and, you know, been successful at that? I've tutored some of them. I've mm-hmm. never actually taken one myself. Um, so there, like you said, there are some that are one week, two weeks, three weeks. You know, you might drop 10 or 20,000 or maybe even more right. uh, in some cases to take these. They're really rigorous, you know, full time things. Um, as, as a freelancer, you know, for the last 10 years or so, just moonlighting basically. Um, a gig I picked up in college actually was tutoring like K through 12, math, science, SAT prep, stuff like that. Um, it was always really rewarding when I found a student that was in a computer science class and I got to tutor them in stuff that I was already really, really interested in. Uh, so I, you know, had my profile out there on a handful of different providers that, uh, people could come and pay an hourly rate, you know, $59 an hour or whatever it is. 
um, you know, to get virtual tutoring. Um, so I've done some of that on uh, Ruby on Rails, a little bit on .NET. Um, I've done some recently on Azure. Uh, you know, people, a lot of people are starting to move toward the cloud. I don't mm-hmm. know about any of the boot camps. The biggest problem that I've heard through some of the students uh, following up with them afterward is lack of job placement services. Mm. They Some of them go in with the expectation they're coming out with a job, job. right? Whereas really they're just going, they're coming out with an organization that may or may not have an accreditation. I think doesn't have an accreditation of some kind. So they can't offer you much more than maybe a certificate of completion. Right. And that may be worth some to some people. I think 10 years ago, if you'd asked me, I did regret, I regretted a lot more not finishing college, not having a degree to have that as my baseline, you know, platform during my job application process. Now in our particular field, not all, by no means all computer science related fields is that degree unnecessary, but it's waning a little bit. Yeah, I agree. To to help with that. The boot camps, I think have naturally supplemented that. There's so many unfilled tech jobs in this country. Last stat I heard was like 300,000 jobs a month or something unfilled in this country. Uh, technology positions specifically, um, you know, hence the existence of like the tech Fredericks of the world and things like that. Um, so I think that there's a lot of, a lot more folks out there, some like me, some otherwise that just want to try to share knowledge in a lucrative fashion, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in the form of a boot camp or tutoring or what have you. That's, that's the complaint. Um, I don't know anybody personally. I think that's been through one of the longer boot camps that didn't have any experience beforehand and got a job as a result of it afterward or a direct result, at least. I think they supplemented it with a certification or two after the fact that might be, you know, like a solutions architect or something. Right, like AWS like, type yeah, of solutions, yeah. Uh, and that seemed to be the big win for them. So the, the certs, I think, there are still a lot of employers out there that look for certifications when you don't have formal education mm-hmm. as kind of maybe a backup. Yeah, I think it depends on the industry as well, too, because if you're – you're trying to get into government contract, you're, it's more formal. So you're going to need that, mm-hmm. you know, degree, maybe even a master's, depending on what you're going for. Right, George? Yeah, geography really matters. Uh, at least this is what we're seeing around around this area. Uh, because a lot of the companies that would be hiring, they typically are subcontracting to the government. And their requir- the, the government requirement is to have uh, uh, some kind of a formal degree. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to speak a little bit about what you, what, about your experience, if sure. I may. Um, I think that um, you did not start from scratch. I mean, you, you pretty much have a, a computer science education. Basically. Basically, yeah. I so so <laughs> I think that the, 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 there's a little bit of a misunderstanding in, in the public. I mean, the key issue is that you don't know what you don't know. Yes. And when you start from where you started with the four and a half years of computer science, you knew what boot camp to take. You knew what sort of training to take. You, yeah. you I had you, that vocabulary. You had the you vocabulary. Know. If you get somebody uh, off the street, suddenly they say, well, I need to get me into computers because this is, you know, this is where the jobs are. Where do you start? Yeah. I mean, do you start at AWS? Do you start at .NET, at Python? I mean, what... I mean, it's a sea of possibility, mm-hmm. um, and I think it's a very hard uh, environment, and I think this is one of the reasons why the outcomes, which is exactly what you described, mm-hmm. the fact that you know they go through these boot camps and then they just realize that they cannot get hired. Yeah. Because from the side of the, of the employer, they realize that they don't have the breadth that you had after four and a half years of computer science plus a skill. Yeah. It's just someone who 
they know how to do just one thing. And, and I'm not sure that, um, I mean, I don't want to jump between boot camps and, and MOOCs and all these things that, that we have seen come and go in the, in, the, in the industry. But, you know, we have had books in the library for the longest amount of time. But you don't see anybody going and getting an education at the library all alone. Uh, MOOCs were like that, but they mm-hmm. had retention rates, meaning they would graduate single digits people. Yeah. So you would have 30,000 people and, and only 1% of them would complete it. And most of them were already computer scientists who were interested in learning more about yeah. the specific subject. <laughs> so they were not teaching really the, the new blood that is needed in the, uh, in the industry. So, I mean, the, the long way about what I'm trying to say is that I think these boot camps are, are great in order to hone in skills, in order to sort of really become better and, and sort of, uh, you know, be more targeted. But I'm not sure that they really replace the idea of, okay, I need to know where I'm going and I need to know what I'm, what I'm doing. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you there, George, because I've had several friends come to me and say, hey... I want to get into programming. What do I do? What do I learn? Yeah. And it's a hard question to answer because yeah. I'm just like, well, yeah, you're, you're thinking <laughs> I've done a myriad of different things, back end, you know, front end development, database stuff. And it's, you know, I have my niche. I know what I like. I know what I don't like. Um, you are the same way, David, and you're the same way as well. And you too, George. And it's just like, you think about that. You're like, that's a really hard question to answer because like you said, you don't know what you don't know. So, the best I could say is we'll get into front-end development because it's the easiest thing to get into right now. And if you like general programming, you can start building on that. But even that is hard to just tell people to do that, you know? And so, like you said, if someone who just wanted to get into industry had no vocabulary, no experience, what do you tell them? And and that's what I, I've struggled with that, with that myself. We have monthly open workshops in Frederick and there was one this past Saturday and there was an individual who came in and and she was exactly in this position of, Mm -hmm. I just want a tech job. I want something that pays Mm -hmm. well. And I think that's a totally noble place to be coming from. Just Mm -hmm. looking for good, good work. Yes, definitely. You know, some people will poo poo that idea, but I think that's ridiculous. Um, but she had this question of, well, what, what do I learn? And she at least knew she wanted to learn some Python stuff. So we kind of framed it in like, what is it you want to do? Because I think that's important because in terms of learning this stuff, Mm -hmm. if you're just learning it purely from an academic point and that's all you ever did with it, um, it's really hard. It's doable, but it's a hard path to walk down because as soon as you hit a roadblock, it's you're like, well, I'm done. I can give up. So you, you have to... If you want to truly succeed and, and, and have the, the power to persist, uh, find a project, find something that you care about. Because then that was my response to her. It's like, well, what kind of work do you want to do? It's one thing to yeah. want to be Practical a programmer, right. but do you want to do web development? Do you want to do design websites? Do right. you want to move into data science and right. study right. the hardcore sciences? Uh, you have to know that about yourself before, uh, digging into software if you really want to succeed and, and find that first job. Whether you're going with a boot camp or you're going to college, mm-hmm. there's some some drive that has to be in you. Otherwise, it's, you're going to have a hard time. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And even then, I, I tell people now, like, I'm still learning. I'm still deciding what I want to do. You know, it changes because, you know, one you know, one year I'm very much into just, just give me the items and I'll program mm-hmm. that and I'll do all this stuff. And, and now it's, I'm transitioning more to like, I'd rather be on the business side of things and understand how that 
ties in with, you know, engineering and all that mm-hmm. stuff versus just sitting behind a computer and coding. And yes, that's fun, but people change and, and yeah. things like that. And so, like you said, you have to build off what you believe in. I've heard people say, hey, I just want to solve problems and not really talk to people. Like, that's perfect. Right. Understandable, right? There are jobs for there that. There are jobs for that, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and there are jobs that are people that you are, you love to talk to people and you want to work on a project and lead a team and things like that. And that is much needed in, in IT, absolutely, yeah. just as much as the other side is. So, yeah. Just just to, to make a, uh, an interesting observation that we have been seeing a lot with students that they are coming into our programs. I know that we are talking a lot about development here because I think I think we're skewed towards development, but there are people who are coming in and thinking that they're going for a degree in computer science and they're going to do networking and systems administration and things. I mean, the, there are other aspects that they would be very good, solid computing, I would call them computing opportunities, that they have nothing to do with development. Mm-hmm. Um, very capable students, that they have all of the sort of the attributes that you expect from somebody to be in a field of computing and, and IT in general. And they cannot code to, to there's some, the results out of a paperback. Mm-hmm. And that's perfectly fine. But they don't know it coming in. Right. So I think... You're, you're absolutely right that you need to really have at least understanding about where do you want to go with this? I mean, where are we, you know? Uh, but I want to bring one, one thing up that I was reading uh, about boot camps, uh, mm-hmm. which is an interesting uh, topic uh, because it's very, so prevalent. Uh, one of the issues that we have at the, at the college uh, is recruiting women. And apparently there is a trend that has been studied uh, recently that women feel less intimidated in boot camps. Interesting. Which is a sort of a, a, a strange kind of, of um, I mean, it's not, under, I mean, I, I, cannot, I cannot explain it. Uh, the only sort of speculation that I can have about it is that perhaps they don't feel that they are behind the learning curve where, you know, when you have a lot of guys in a class or, or in a formal setting, you know, you know, they've been playing games forever or they are, you know, whatever, whatever, uh, however they grew up. So I think it's interesting if we can use boot camps as a way to attract people who are interested into computing and to give them a taste of what could be. Well, you want to do programming, great. Do a boot camp in front end and see how you like it and if you don't like it do a boot camp on on back end right at the end of the of the day well at least you know how to do front end and back end <laughs> there you go build your own website there and then you, 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 you run from it right? you run with it so yeah that that is a very interesting um you know statistic or, or observation that you yeah. see there because you know looking back now and when I was in school, I think we've had one or two two women in the class at most. And has that changed now to now? It's, it's, it's switching a little bit. Um, we see more participation of uh, women in cybersecurity. Mm-hmm. Uh, for some reason, it seems to be a more, perhaps it's because it's a little bit more social kind of, uh, of an area of computing. Uh, it's not as, you know, you and the monitor... Alone, the social engineering mm-hmm. is a component of. It's a component, security. yes, mm-hmm. and so maybe, maybe it's this it's more I mean, natural I, alignment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's the explanation no. for it, but and following what you, what you could be, yes, yeah, yeah. I, we see a little bit, a little bit more there. 
You right. Know? Yeah. And like you said, computer science, it, you know, learning is just a wide array, really. And yes, it focuses more on development, but you learn a bunch of different things. And if, you, like you said, right. if I wanted to get into being a systems admin, you know, I don't necessarily need a, you know, four-year degree for that, you know. So, and if I had the vocabulary, I can definitely do that yeah, and bring that yeah. up. So, so yeah, I'm, I mean, the interesting topics we've talked about, boot camp, you know, formal education, um, you know, learning through tutorials and videos that, that you're making. Anything else that, you know, you see trends coming up that are, are like newish. You know, I've seen things where you can have apps on your phone now that you'll do like a coding problem a day. And I, I thought that was pretty neat because not only does it kind of keep you sharp, but it's one of those things that I got five minutes on my phone. I spend at least an hour on Instagram, you know, <laughs> so I could spend five minutes, you know, doing a JavaScript problem and answering that. You know, have you guys ever done that or seen anything else besides that? I used to do uh, code katas, uh, mm-hmm. which weren't five minutes uh, increments. Um, they were closer to 45 to 60 minute exercises that, you know, you try to commit to one a week or one a day, okay. uh, you know, to keep you sharper, you know you know, write a couple quick and dirty unit tests and then implement, you know, a class that uh, does that type of thing. Um, it's interesting you mentioned the, the, the five minute, I hadn't heard of the app, but I wanted to kind of, uh, uh, circle back to something we talked about a few minutes ago. You were talking about the shorter form education. Mm-hmm. So whether it's the 45 minute tutorial or, or hour long presentation, you know, that Matt does, uh, for one segment of a larger project or something like that. It's interesting. We were talking about the velocity of information. It's also kind of the, it's not the volume of the information. I think the volume has increased. It's the, the size of the chunks. You know, it's the Twitter timeline effect. You got, you talk about Instagram. I'm you know, more on Twitter. I, give me the links. Like, give me the links that I can click into. I'll have, I'll have 30 tabs opened up by 11 o'clock in the morning. I'm, like, I'm going to circle back on all these this week. Uh, you know, and read all of these blog posts and different things like that. I and mean, I'll get to two of them by I Friday do the same thing too. Uh, yeah. It's, I, I have so many groups of like saved tabs. Like, oh, these are the ones on December 28th, you know, yep. that opened up and didn't get to, didn't get to review. Um, I think it's easy to, confuse success and progress in those because you can, you can get a quick win out of some of those bite size, uh, things, which may, they may build some muscle memory for later. They may jog your memory or help you, you know, solve an additional problem. For me though, I think more of it, at least in my practical experience, you know, I get frustrated with a problem or I can't figure something out, getting up and walking away from it or verbalizing it with a coworker is like the, is the most common way to solve it. Getting up on a whiteboard or something and just saying it out loud instead of saying it in your head over and over again. Um, that like, yeah, that, that was, I'm not like, I want, that's why I wanted to talk about was like the bite size interaction. Um, that, where it's easy to get those small wins. Um, other learning modalities that I've seen success with, I couldn't think of any other ones, but I uh, wanted to touch back on that. No, that's good. And I, I've had, personally, I've had those those uh, experiences myself where, you know, a couple of days trying to solve this problem and, you yeah. know, I go, go home from work and not only are you mentally exhausted, you're yeah. just frustrated. You're like, I can't solve this. At the end of the thing. day, you're yeah. like, all right, I'm going to put a post out on Stack Overflow. And maybe by morning, somebody will have answered me or <laughs> given me like some additional line of thought or something. Or like that, just like just walking away and yeah. not thinking about it. And, you know, next day comes on the drive in, you're like, light bulb comes in. You're yeah. like, 
I'm going to do it like this. Sure enough, you solve the problem. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. the best stops come when you're not thinking Not about thinking about it, yeah. yeah. You have to let go for it to get through. Yeah. Right. In the shower, on the commute. In the shower, right. you know, yeah. doing some mundane <laughs> task, right? Yeah. Some, some mundane task, exactly. even mowing the lawn, right? It's the ratchet. You have to let go for it yeah. to move. Yes. Right. But as, as natural tinkerers, we're just so inclined to, like, just keep applying our different methods to the right. problem. Right. Uh, and, and look, so by no means, because we've said a lot of times that, you know, you know, programming could be a job where it's just me and the computer and that's it. And you just tell me what to do and I'll get it done. Right. But I personally found in my career as, as a developer that there's no way I could have done 80% of the stuff I've done without collaboration, you know, talking to another developer and running through a problem with it. Like, Hey, you know, I know this developer is a lot more sharp and on the front end than I am. Right. Like, Hey, what, you know, I'm trying to do something like this. Just give me an idea. I just need direction. Yeah. And with that direction, with everything I've learned and everything I know, I can start building up upon yeah, there. You've already opened up that whole new avenue exactly. of uh, things you right. could start thinking about. Right, right. Or more or less, like they may just have the answer. You're like, shit, I didn't think about that. And yeah. <laughs> you're like, you solved it right there. Yeah. You saved me five hours, you know. <laughs> we encourage that all the time here, whether it's in the form of pair programming, what have you. Collaboration is one of our core values right. uh, you know, that, that we preach all the time. Yeah, and I've I've never seen a company that that doesn't at least uh, appreciate that because you know if if there's something that you have gone through and yes it may have taken you a week to solve and things like that and now I'm going through it well why let me suffer a week when I can get it done in the next five minutes and yeah. move on and stuff like that and it's not enough that you just give me the answer either it's help me understand where I, what I was missing that. I can just skip all that, you know, agony that you've gone through and, and things like that. And so that's another thing too, as a developer, when you've gone through the fire and you solve a problem, you know, in an interview, wherever it is, you're proud to say, this is what I've gone through. And, well, that's when and, learning occurs. Yes, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly right. Like going home that mentally exhausted and frustrating and then coming back with that light bulb, like you realize, yes. I hate that in that moment, but mm-hmm. I also, I, when you go home the next day, you solve it. You're like, yes, yeah. got it. you're done. Yeah. You feel I, great I think that, that agony has a lot of value. I mean, we were talking a moment ago about Twitter, Instagram, those, those short, shallow hits of dopamine. They're like, yeah. you click that link, <laughs> you read that blog post, that article, mm-hmm. not to say that there, there's some great articles out there that have tons of knowledge that you can gain. But as they, as you commented on, but the learning process is it's through the struggle. It's yeah. like you're you're really you're enforcing your your neurons to like through that repetition and those hard things where you're really grasping at stuff. And so I think that one method of learning is to become that that T shaped individual that sometimes people talk about, where you have to get really deep and depth on a subject. You can have a broad range of knowledge, like maybe you're not a database expert, but you know some about it. Mm-hmm. But maybe you do become that person that knows that particular library or that particular technology um, and, and get in deep there. Um, one one way that I've seen people learning and something I do myself is I stream on, on Twitch regularly. Mm-hmm. And it's an opportunity to just have a person, have people be on onlookers that look or, are looking over my shoulders. I'm staring at code that I don't know how to get past. Like it's a, an error that I'm struggling just like I would in my day job and people can look at me and say, all right, you know, this guy has to look up documentation. He's got to wrestle with it. He's got to figure out like, what is this error message saying and, and really get in deep. And I think it's those experiences when I, when I've turned around and been, been an onlooker myself into some of these streams, I, I've learned things that have been, have pushed me to explore 
something deeper, something more than just the very casual, superficial, oh, that's an interesting topic. Now right. I'm, now I'm out. Right. Um, so like having those kind of extended sessions that, um, extend like, and, and having that real time kind of collaborative dialogue that you can, you know, you can chat with these individuals, you can pose questions, you can have a bit of back and forth as a viewer kind of forces you down this path yourself of you might not be the one writing the code in these streaming scenarios, but you can be someone who is thinking through the problem mm-hmm. and making suggestions and helping out where you can, or just trying to distill what they've done because they're just like an amazing programmer. <laughs> like, oh my word. That's you've just dropped some serious knowledge on me. Um, so I think that's, that's another, uh, a new mechanism that I've seen people learn um, that, that is different from, the, our, our casual sources, our historical sources of books and, mm-hmm. and even, um, newer than, than YouTube, like a whole new level of interactivity, all about approaching that subject of how do you get the most bandwidth out of your communication? Like now it's a, it's a visual component and an interaction component. Like right. That pretty much forces learning as, as best as you could want. Hopefully. Aside from being like literally shoulder to shoulder with somebody right. in pair, pair programming. Yeah, I like that. Like, do you guys remember the first time you, you were writing code and someone was looking at you while you were writing it? <laughs> I was just thinking, yeah, right? I was just thinking, as somebody who has experienced imposter syndrome uh, several times in their career, what everything that Matt just said is incredibly relieving to me. Uh, you know, now I'm even more encouraged to watch his videos, uh, you know, just to see how he would go through Python documentation and things like that. Uh, right, or just documentation in general, right? It, you know, yeah, yeah. The, the I, fact that his Python is irrelevant is how are you trying to solve that problem? that and you know you're going to hit a snag and you, you look back on your your education and you say all right th- should i do it like this or this and then there's going to be a problem where you're like i, I don't know the answer right now i'm going to have to and, and that's up. the reality of the field like there there are just times where you're not going to know and right. if you did know it would ro- probably be a solved problem it would probably be something some library that you could just install and mm-hmm. move on with your life it's not but, five minutes but presumably you're doing something novel or something that needs to be done right and and it's going to run into real challenges. So, and, and that, you're that the br- yeah, exactly. Right. And that brings the problem. Like, you guys have been in those interviews where like expected to know everything, and you're just like, <laughs> dude, <laughs> this is not how reality is. Yeah, if I'm programming, yeah, it's like I will be collaborating. I will be looking looking things up. And again, it's more on how you try to solve the problem than just solve the problem right now. That's actually a recurring theme in this discussion you're getting knowledge from somebody else, mm-hmm. which is basically the point. Right. Yeah. And how, like how, to, how do you disseminate that knowledge? Cause I've seen people you know, early in my career that again, would Google things and they really did not know what they were doing and just copy and paste in there. Now it's mm-hmm. like, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> Be <laughs> like, careful doing Right. Exactly. It's like even uh, let's forget about the fact that there's any malicious malicious intent and copy and pasting that code, right? No, if you don't know what it's doing, you could break your own stuff. Exactly. Really. Like, like you, you have to understand what you're doing. Like, yes, are there bits and pieces of it you can copy and paste? Absolutely. But more or less, what this should really do is give you an idea of how to solve what you're trying to solve. Because like you said, Matt, what you're presumably doing, you're not reinventing the wheel here or, or at least you're you're not doing something that someone else has done. You may be doing something very specific to your company's needs. You know, it could be very similar to what some other person has done, but not exactly. Right. And that's why it's like, if you can read it and understand it, then, you know, solve it yourself versus just copy and pasting. Yeah. So a novice might see something like stack overflow and answer it on there as gospel. Like I'm just going to take it. And that that's, that's the answer. 
right? Whereas someone who's been doing this a while, you start to see Stack Overflow answers as a sketch of mm-hmm. what the right answer should mm-hmm. be. And you work from that as the basis of, okay, I see what you're doing. And, and like you said, you have to like dig into it. You have to understand it. Mm-hmm. You, but, and if you don't understand it, that's the opportunity to go dive deeper and figure out like, well, what is it about? I mean, it's got the green check mark by it. So, you know, a lot of people have said this worked for them, but why did it work for them? You right. have to be um, inquisitive. You have to want to know why and dig into that. And I think that's how you grow as a developer. Um, and, and sometimes you take an expedient and you're like, well, mostly that's right. And I think I get most of it. Like, I'm not saying there's there, good there's, enough. There's definitely times where you need to make situation. Good enough. Yeah. I can, I can code review this later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, that's a regular expression. Copy paste. That's yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's interesting. We keep talking about Stack Overflow. I think, uh, uh, I don't know why I neglected it until now. Uh, I think one of the most successful experiences I've had with Stack Overflow is giving back. Uh, so, you know, being able to regurgitate some of those answers, I guess the, I don't remember who said it, but the ultimate rule of being able to say you understand something is being able to teach it to to a young person or somebody that doesn't understand it. Um, I I think I've gotten a a lot of success out of that. I think early on stack overflow, I'm obviously guilty of copying and pasting. It's got an enormous C sharp community. So there's tons of, Mm. uh, uh, you know, dot net type answers and things like that out there. Uh, and then I started saying to myself, well, I mean, Okay, there's a question right below the one that I was just getting an answer. I'll throw an answer in there and get some points for it and things like that. Um, I was, I think I told my boss or somebody on my team recently, they uh, were asking about Stack Overflow and I was like, yeah, I'm like, I'm like a thousand points away from the moderator tools. Like I just have given back a, like a ton Look. over the years. Look at and, this uh, guy. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, like uh, I didn't, I, I couldn't find any like open source projects, you know, once yes. upon a time, like that were C sharp, that were like heavy in C sharp and I didn't know a lot of Python and things like that. Uh, so I guess that was my form. That was a little bit of my giving back, you know, kind of thing. Um, now I actually just completed my Hacktoberfest uh, uh, pull request set, uh, so I was pretty pumped about that too. Uh, I've been trying to do, uh, dive more into open source now that I'm I have a more than a cursory understanding of a lot of other platforms and languages mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, I ended up making like documentation pull requests, but they're on like Microsoft Docs. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the code's been pushed up and everything. Uh, so even just giving back sometimes, you know, can be a great educational tool to be able to regurgitate that information and, you know, at least solidify some degree of expertise or what have you. Not only is that educational, but it, it helps to inform. It's a, it's a signal. So, yeah. you know, we haven't really discussed much on the interviewer side of this, this equation. Like mm-hmm. I, I do interviewers of interviews of, of candidate, um, candidates for jobs at, at Dr. And a man. And, you know, what I'm looking for is, do you have the skills to do to do the work? That's mm-hmm. that's really what I care about. Whether you got them from a school or whether you got them from a boot camp, mm-hmm. it matters not a lot to me. Um, and so I have to like sift through all the data that I have about a candidate. Um, you know, and, and I'm not I'm I'm not I should caveat this. I'm not saying like you should have a GitHub a full GitHub account to act as your resume. I'm not one of those people. Uh, but it does help to have data on GitHub as one potential source of signal of here are things that you have done actively out in the world. And maybe that's just side projects that you put up there and the code that I can look at, and that's good enough. Um, but Or it could be uh, you have a great Stack Overflow uh, profile and you've done a lot of work there. Um, as I'm looking at candidates, before I even have that first discussion with them, I'm really digging into... What have you shown, at, as me as an interviewer, that you you 
have a fighting chance of at succeeding at this job because I don't want to hire someone who's not going to succeed. It's bad right. for them and it's bad for the company. Right. So yeah. I have to make sure to do the proper filtering um, and, and look for, you know, what, what is your actual contribution? Uh, what have you demonstrated you know how to do um, so that I can have some faith that when if we give you the offer that you're going to come here and crush it? Right. That's really important. So, and that, that's a good point you bring up, Matt. Um, let's say if if you're going for an interview and you don't have you know a GitHub account and, and you know presence on Stack Overflow, what else can somebody do to kind of showcase that? You know, is it a portfolio? Is it is anything else that I can't think of? I mean, step one is create a GitHub account. Like that is that is just a requirement if you're truly interested in software development these days. I think people need GitHub accounts. Just it is the source forge of the of this time period. And it's basically it may, your portfolio. It may too. not always be that way, and that's fine. But mm-hmm. um, I immediately kind of look look a little screwy at you if you're if you don't have a GitHub profile. It's like were you working in like just purely in classified environments, or were were you working in some place where you couldn't do that? Because it does, yeah. it it's it's again it's a signal. It's like you not even have enough of the intellectual curiosity to go look at the most commonly used tool in the software industry today. Right. So uh, that's, that's an important, it's not a deal breaker, but I, I would have a lot of questions if, if it's you didn't more have cake that. than icing these days. You know, I, I yeah. agree. Look, I'll just put a big plus one on what Matt just said. Uh, somebody who's curated a ton of different resumes for different positions and things like that. Uh, yeah. I'd say that, you know, the ones with, GitHub references and things like that tend to float a little higher in the stack, uh, you know, as, as something that sets you apart from other candidates uh, for the exact reason Matt was saying, just that intellectual curiosity. I think some of the most successful developers I've ever met, they all have side projects. You know, they all have tens of side projects, one of which that they're working on at any given point in time and another, you know, 50 of them that have gone by the wayside, uh, you know, just because they were curious about something at one point in time shove the code up to GitHub and with good commit messages. And they're like, all right, I can come back to it now, you know, a year from now or whatever it is. Right. Yeah, that's good. And it's good to know that like, you know, GitHub seems to be the, the modern like portfolio for, especially for developers and whatnot. And, you know, there are scenarios like that developers may not have a presence on GitHub because, you know, companies have their proprietary, you know, source control, whatever it is, even if it is Git, if it's not GitHub. Um, but that doesn't mean a developer can't work on a side project, like you were saying. You know, mm-hmm. you know, just you know, the the best side projects come out of things that irritate developers, right? And when something irritates a developer, what do they do? They try to make it a lot easier, better, automated, whatever. automate themselves automate out of a job. Out of a job. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to do that, even as a developer, right? Yeah. Like you try to, you're just like as I continue automating these things, I still have to do others. <laughs> Why is that? Yeah. And there's a little bit of caution that has to be applied here. Is that we recognize that if you are able to do things on the side, that, that is a certain amount of privilege in your life that you have the time to do that. Like maybe you are a full-time single parent and you're barely making by on the job you've got. Like, so that's why I'm saying like, you know, having a, a GitHub profile is really good. It's not a deal breaker because mm-hmm. like there's understanding that you have to look at the person. And look at like, where, where are you coming from? And do you have the skills? If you can prove you have the mm-hmm. skills, that is my bar. Going like back you, to the human side of it. Yeah, exactly. Like we can't just be um, in, you know, like I know there's some tools out there that will filter out like, well, if you don't have this and this and this, you're just, you're just out. You're automatically rejected. And uh, to, talking to some other local people in here in town, their, their HR department is, uses tools like that. And like 
they're having to go back and say like, hey, wait a minute, I gave you a referral. This is like my word that this person is awesome mm-hmm. and your HR tool just kicked them out. Stop doing that because mm-hmm. you're, you're disregarding their humanity and their ability to potentially be really successful at this company just because they didn't check the boxes you had. So it's an over filtering problem that we have to be cautious of, of not doing that. So, uh, so that we find people that are appropriate for the job. And there's lots of people in the area that can, that, that can do good work for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Like whether you don't have a four year degree or, you know, you just don't have a GitHub, you know, presence or strong presence on there. Like it, it doesn't matter. It, as you said, you look for the key indicators that will get them through the door and then they can sell themselves in the interview process. Have you ever had an, an interviewee that was just full of it? Oh, of course. I mean, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I won't go over stories for, for reasons of their privacy, but there have been spectacular flops that are just like, ooh. Yeah. It, no. you, you wrote, you put in all the keywords on there, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. That happens. I mean, there's a lot of people, because let's, let's be real, the software industry as a whole has really good paying jobs. So if people can mm-hmm. kind of fudge their way in, yeah. they're going to try and do it. And it might be, might not get caught for a while. They might be able to fly under the radar somehow for some company that's not really paying attention or doesn't know what they look, are looking for. But there are folks that are, are looking for, for that work because of the paycheck that it provides. Yeah. But I mean, but in our industry, it's those semi-practical applications, those te- you know, interview exercises that you can help weed the, you know, weed out the folks that Fizzbuzz. Yeah. Fizzbuzz. Exactly. Do it. <laughs> uh, that, that rolled out of bed and we're like, oh man, software, software developers make good money. I'm going to, I'm going to go be a software developer. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really easy to have some, have somebody look really great on paper and you bring them in and like you said, they can't do fizzbuzz, you know, which is a, an exercise that, you know, you can give uh, probably really probably a middle schooler, you know, that understands basic multiplication of, I don't digits. know about a middle schooler, uh, but you know, they could probably <laughs> not in code, but they could probably, you know, visually describe, right. uh, describe, you know, how they might go about an algorithm, like something like that. Uh, but you've got people that I've even met, you know, people that have had developer jobs, you know, before the interview that can't do FizzBuzz, like can't do it on a whiteboard. Uh, you know, even, you know, it might be, maybe some of it is interview nerves. You know, a lot of people do get nervous during interviews and things like that. But, um, yeah, the, those functional exercises are really good. I always found that like, the coding aspect, or at least like trying to showcase someone code in front of everybody, was more a bit more daunting than doing something sure. on a whiteboard with sure. somebody else. You know, Especially, you know, your first or second interview after college, you know, that kind of you're still just not you know quite used to it. Um, yeah, it, it can definitely be a little nerve wracking. Definitely, yeah. So, so you know, we talked like again, we've talked about a myriad of different topics here. You know, education background and things like that. You sort of touched on it where you were, you were saying, uh, David, when you were saying, um, you know, code myself out of a job here. You know, where do you think the future is going with, you know, where technology is going and, you know, machine learning, AI and things like that, where personally, I don't think developers are going to be extinct in the next 20 years or whatnot. But and there are a lot of other jobs that may, you know, may run out. What do you think about how that where we're going with technology and software can fundamentally change this industry again. I mean, I think it already has, uh, you know, not even just our industry. I, I think it's definitely changed. You hear, you know, little stories popping up every now and then about, you know, kiosks replacing cashiers and mm-hmm. things like that. And you see it at your local grocery store, more self-checkout aisles than, you know, there are sometimes cashier lanes and things like that. Uh, you know, we can just hope that people will find a way to adapt 
Um, in our industry specific, yeah, I mean, it is kind of, you know, finding a way to automate yourself out of a job. I mean, there are even things that I've done at my job and I hire where I've had to do them several times because we just haven't taken the time to implement an automated solution to handle it moving forward, whether or not it's squashing an alarm that went off because we expected it to go off and we just forgot to turn it off or some other human factor was in play. Um, yeah, I think that's where the automation is always going to be there. I think for the same reason, whether the robots take over or not, we're still going to, we're still going to need mechanics to work on the robots and things like that. Uh, so I think even if software developers find ways to automate themselves out of a job, there's always all it, all it means is another abstraction. It just means another layer of abstraction on top, built on top of things we already have. So it might not be .NET and Python in the future. Like Python may still be at the core. You know, now there's Django, which gives Python web capabilities. And then maybe there's something above that that gives Python and Django cloud capabilities and deployment right. lifecycle and things like that. I think there's always ways to abstract like that the same way the kayaks and things like that of the, the world have aggregated a bunch of other search tools for you know, travel and stuff like that. Cool. What do you guys think? You know, like the, the future of this industry, or I guess like, you know, the comp sci and things like that in terms of where technology is going. Well, I think that in a, in a place far, far down many decades, I think we should go to what used to be called component based software. So I can go to the store and get a web interface and put it, you know, connected like Legos in the back end and just uh, do this type of, uh, it will be more of an integration job rather right. than uh, doing things in a, you know, line by line coding. And that would be from the sort of development side. I think that's eventually where we're going to get to. I don't know how quickly this, something like this would happen. Um, I can't wait for the robots. Uh, <laughs> I want them. I am, uh, I am Greek by origin, so I say that you know the Greeks were able to think and philosophize and do art and do all of these things because they had a lot of time in their hands. And, and I think the robots will do exactly this for us at some point. They will do all the menial tasks. They will be driving. They will be you know doing all the factory stuff so we can do higher order thinking so that's my uh, my my aspiration at least in hopefully and, and they will not rebel they won't rebel against us all Tesla's <laughs> will crash or something <laughs> what about you Matt as far as the future I, I do see you know we see inklings today of having a component software world where there's no way we're building from the bottom layer right. to, to make our software work we already use a lot of stuff to make, make us successful and I think where we're writing code today gets down into domains. I'm in healthcare. We have to deal with patients. We have to deal with laws, which are already changing. So the complexity around law, I mean, if robots manage to figure out the legal system, they've done a better job than we have. That's, that would be awesome. <laughs> so I think that's where a lot of what we write today is, is driven by those weirdnesses of human behavior. And uh, so, you know, there will continue to be larger and larger units that are reusable. And I think that's a great thing because it frees us up for some of that higher order thinking where, um, you know, I still have plenty of work to do and it's just a different kind of work rather than, you know, clicking those buttons to test this out. I've, all right. That script is done. That, mm -hmm. that automation is in place. That, and 
we're all the better for it. Like no one wants, no one should have to spend their life clicking around on a web user interface to make sure that it still works right. That's that's ridiculous. Right. So um, getting rid of that kind of menial work um, and still getting value out of it by having computers do it, which and have them do it perfectly, by the way, because they're not human. Um, I think is 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 good for us providing better. Again, sticking with healthcare, it's providing better care. Um, because we have the, the guarantees that this, this stuff is actually continuing to work, um, in, in solid and reliable ways. Um, so I think it's all good. I think, uh, it is going to have massive effects on other industries in the near, near, uh, term future, um, which I don't have answers for. I don't have my crystal ball on how we solve things. Like what do we do when trucking is all automated? Like how, you know, if, if there's a, we are at a position place here where software development is a skill that will be much farther down the road before it can be truly replaced. Mm-hmm. Um, so the discussion probably outside the scope of this conversation is, is what do we do about the, um, the, a different kind of skill set, people that are truckers, people that are working mm-hmm. in retail that are, um, are candidates for, um, having their jobs go away in the next five to 10 years. So that's, right. a, that's a very interesting conversation, but a whole different ball of wax. Yeah. I, I mean, the first industry I, I thought about was trucking, right? And you actually bring up another one, you know, when you said retail, I was recently in Chicago. Have any of you guys been to an Amazon Go store? No? No. Okay. No. Heard of it? Seen yeah. them from the outside, but okay. not an actual. Okay. Oh, is this one of the automated stores? Yes. Okay. Heard of them. Think about this. I walk in. It's a convenience store, right? I scan my barcode and that's it. I can pick up any item I want, put it in my pocket, put it in the bag. And as soon as I walk out, then I get charged. That's it. There is one person. There's no need for registers or anything like that. And I, you see all these sensors on, on the ceiling and it's just fundamentally different. Where I, I purchased a Snickers bar and I felt like... Am I stealing here when I put it in my pocket? <laughs> and then walked out and that was it. And, you know, the yeah. there was a person there, you know, with a tablet making sure everything was good. But she's like, I was like, do you just walk out? She's like, yep, you're good. You're That's in the it. future. And that was it. I was like, holy wow. Like, this is I mean, amazing. It seems, it seems like her job could have been replaced by, you know, just a system that notifies the police if something goes wrong. Or they have my like face that. there. I'm sure they have yeah, cameras and everything. Charge, they know who I am. Exactly. Yeah. They know exactly like who I am. The Mac address of your phone and everything else. Right. I mean, yeah. They, they know it was linked to my Amazon Prime account, so they know exactly who I am. But your Snickers bar didn't have like an RFID chip on it or anything <laughs> like that? It wasn't like something that I could go in and like magnetize to... I don't know, actually. Apparently... There, the, was, there were enough visual sensors to know exactly which thing or things I picked up I think it's a combination between RFID and visual like cameras like the weight of the the bucket that changed when I pulled two Snickers bars out instead of one instead of one yeah so it it was a very interesting concept I know it's a proof of concept because I believe it's only in four cities including Chicago I think New York San Francisco and Seattle um, so I thought that was pretty interesting and like you were saying you see you know trucking is going to be something that I think there, it's ripe for a disruption in the next five to 10 years easily with Tesla, with what they're doing with consumer vehicles and moving on to trucking and as well as why not do that for delivery, you know, last mile things as well. I'm not so sure about the, uh, uh, the trucking is going to come this fast. Okay. And the reason is because I think that for to have autonomy and safety and have all the things that we need in a, in a transportation system, we need to create smart roads and smart infrastructure. And that would be much more expensive 
but an immediate and mark this is my prediction your CVS pharmacist obsolete gone they would be the first victims because if you think about it what they're doing is we can do it with a robot and they will do it precisely they will do it accurately you go up you show your prescription they have everything prepared in the back it's almost like a like a vending machine right so I don't need somebody to go, you know, pill by pill and, and, and sort of fill out a prescription. Right. Or call you if it's been there for five days. <laughs> for five days. They could be calling me. I mean, they could be sending me alerts, you know, and warnings all the time. So I think this is a more of a sort of a lower hanging fruit that we're going to see. And as you said about the grocery stores, I think we're going to see many more into that sort of uh, realm. Right. Uh, but transportation, I think, will be the most disruptive also in terms of our lives yeah it's interesting you said that because i and i would have never thought the pharmacist but that that is something that you know with, with what you mentioned how you mentioned it 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 makes perfect sense and so much of that. medicine is already automated it is yeah. yeah and like you said automation there is there not for the the not for reasons to eliminate costs in terms of personnel but to ensure that it's precise quality. because yep. quality exactly because yeah. If I'm giving medicine out, there, you know, you don't want to give the wrong medicine. You don't want to mm-hmm. give the wrong dosage and things like that. It could be fatal. You don't know that, you know. So, I could see why that is an yeah. industry right for disruption. Now, I can also argue about the whole, you know, smart roads and things like that. I think that's a different com- conversation. And my only reason for that is because, you know, seeing what Tesla is doing and how they intend to automate their vehicles without adding any additional hardware on the road, it's in, it's indicative of what a person does when they learn how to drive. Right. There's nothing additional on the road besides signs, visual representation of what I need to drive. And that's where I believe the tech, at least cameras are there. They're, they're almost, they're, they're there. It's the neural net that needs to learn and how, how to adjust there. So, but yeah. that's my argument. I don't, I don't, we don't no, want to no, get any further I, than I, that. I, 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 <laughs> now, could it be no. more than five years? Yeah. Sure, I'm a proponent absolutely. of this. I mean, don't, you know, the whole thing. <laughs> just need to build the infrastructure. I think that's, it just needs to get Welcome to all the robots. I want to welcome all the robots. <laughs> Tracking or otherwise. Yeah. Because that gets into his higher level thinking. My higher level thinking. No, seriously. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it's a, it's a, all of this is, Prime for, for disruption. The human element is the issue with the, the, the driving. Right. Yeah, so future mechanics will can, have to be software engineers as well. Can't trust <laughs> they already do. They already yeah, do. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So, awesome, guys. I This conversation is amazing. I, I feel like yes, I could go is. on and on. Any, any last thoughts, guys? David? Just on education in general, like we were talking about, you know, don't don't stop learning. It's whether you pursue the degree or not, the specific comp sci degree or do the boot camp or whatever it is. Just maintain your status as a professional, a perpetual student. Uh, you know, just never stop learning. And right. Hopefully, that'll at least help you be aware of some of the problems that might be coming. Like. Hopefully, it's not your job that's on the chopping block in the next five to ten years, uh, you know. Or if it, if you can see it in five to ten years, maybe that will be, maybe that can be the motivation to help you pick up that new, learn that new skill. Be it Python, .NET, embedded systems, playing with a Raspberry Pi, whatever it might be, uh, you know, just just maintain that curiosity. Absolutely, awesome, George. I think staying curious is the most important part, uh, and I think it goes to what. Matt was saying about having the GitHub account, that's what it signals. This is what it signifies, that you're doing stuff and you're curious and you're right. working on, on, on a lot of other things. 
So I think it's a... I am not sure that it, it will matter very soon what kind of modality we're learning. You do it from YouTube, you do it from a boot camp, you do it from a formal education certificate, degree, whatever. I think is as long as you keep learning, I agree. That's that's the yeah. that's the spirit and that's sort of the the way to keep going in the in the field. Absolutely. I think I would just reinforce what the two of those gentlemen have said. It's it's a curiosity, it's a perpetual drive, and there are many roads into tech. And yeah. um, <laughs> absolutely all of them equally valid in their own way, and you can have a gloriously successful career through many different means. Right. Um, so, you know, follow your own road, make sure you have something that you care about along the way, and, and you will be gainfully employed um, almost with certainty. Curiosity ne- didn't really kill the cat, right? No, it's not, <laughs> not, not yet. Uh, <laughs> Just think of it as Schrodinger's cat. <laughs> Maybe there are no, no, no cats have been killed by developer curiosity. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, it's been such a pleasure, you know, talking about this topic and you know, understanding the different methods of learning and, like you said, curiosity. You know, and I agree with that. You know, whether it's you know, learning some new uh, programming language, whether it's Python or, you know, Android, iOS, it doesn't matter. Or just having the curiosity of just saying, you know, there, I, I see this software that I'm using. I don't quite like it. Let me just do it the way I want to do it. There's nothing wrong in that because you may be surprised that other people feel the same way. They just haven't done that yourself. Solve a practical problem. Exactly. And you don't have to solve it the way you think someone else wants it. Solve it the way you think it may suit you. And you'll be surprised at how other people will take on to that um, or whatnot. So, yep, curiosity and just, just keep learning. Mark, do you have anything else you want to say? The only thing that came to my mind in addition to what everyone else has said is back in the nineteen late 1970s, I read a book entitled Without Me, You Are Nothing. And I had a picture of a computer of the day yeah. there. <laughs> The point of the title was, the me is the human. The computer is without the human, you are nothing. <laughs> and the whole point of that book was that. And I think we should always remember that. Right. Yeah. Very good. good All right, guys. Well, awesome conversation. You know, well, I hope to get you guys back on the podcast again. And, you know, thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. Thank, Thank you. you for having us. Thank you. Thank you.